Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Chat with the Designers, your live, online, interactive weekly magazine for hams, home brewers, and experimenters across the Fruited Plain. This is your host, George N2APB, and along with uh, co-host Joe N2CX. And tonight we have a real special program for you called Making the 2013 Christmas Wish List. This is uh, this is a time of the year that we kind of look forward to each each uh, um, each year and uh, get a chance to talk about some new products that are coming out, new products that are on the market, or just things we've overlooked before that we might like to indicate to uh, our family members, our significant others, or just generally put on Santa's wish list uh, uh, for things that we might look to be uh, uh, getting in, into uh, uh, along the, the Christmas time of this year. So it's going to be an informal round table type of discussion, um, although I think uh, uh, we've got a good list of items that we'll be talking about right out of the chute there on our whiteboard. We're going to be talking about station accessories, tools, antennas, rigs, gadgets, uh, software programs, things that you know we're all interested uh, in using on a fairly regular basis, and maybe this will give you some ideas for must-haves that you'll have uh, a hankering for, maybe seeing hung on your uh, the mantle of your uh, fireplace or come crashing down the uh, the chimney when Santa comes down uh, on December 25th or during the holidays whenever you might be spending it. But anyways, it's just never too early to start ordering these things. Now, just a quick note before we get started, uh, we had a little bit of a technical difficulty in recording the session, um, uh, this session live, and as it turns out, my voice did not uh, did not come through too well. There was a loud buzz on my voice, but Joe's voice and those of others came through okay. So with a little bit of post-processing, we're able to fill in some of the information. Um, it just might sound a little bit different. Uh, I'm on a different mic this week, and if it's going to work out, uh, um, if it turns out to be an okay mic, uh, let us know, and we'll continue using it later on. I think it adds a little bit more bass and uh, fuller range, natural sounding voice uh, to things. But anyways, uh, let's get things started, and um, feel free to kind of toss in your, your questions and comments along the way per usual, and I'll turn it over here to Joe, N2CX, and uh, see if you can give also a bit of a kind of a preview of, of what we're going to be looking at here uh, tonight. Uh, go ahead, Joe. Okay, yeah, we've, we've got a list of um, the things here that... Um tailored to uh, George's and my interest, uh, really primarily having to do with uh, uh, QRP, uh, portable operation, and uh, and some other stuff in here too. But um, there are a number of things, uh, some old, some new, some uh, some improved that uh, we're going to be talking about. Um, and uh, a couple of them I want to go into some depth because they're of interest to me and I have, uh, I have experience with them. So I'll be doing that along the way. We've got um, rigs, we've got some uh, accessories, um, we have some uh, some uh, highlights. Some, I think things of interest on on uh, one of the um, actually a couple of the uh, uh, suppliers for the ham market uh, that we're uh, that we're going to talk about. Um, I have no pecuniary interest in uh, in those guys, but uh, based on some experience I've had, it, it might be valuable to uh, to the group to uh, to learn what's going on. And um, George, I know, has um, some new test equipment he wants to talk about that he's got in the shack too. So um, that's basically what we're going to do. I recommend you go to the whiteboard and um, check it out. It's uh, kind of a sparse outline intentionally because we're uh, we're going to be talking here and asking for comments. So we have a couple pictures for interest and a bunch of words that uh, just primarily give uh, links to the sites. Uh, back to you, George. 
All right, then. Let's get things started, Joe. I think uh, the first things on the list here are the uh, the Elecraft K3 and some accessories and, and such. Perhaps you'd like to lead off there. I know this is one of your favorite new toys, and uh, rightly so. It's it's one heck of a it's one heck of a radio. While it's not brand new, I think it's been coming out now even uh, more um, uh, as as time is going on, and uh, there's a lot of people enjoying it. So why don't you brief us on on uh, your K3? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I use it both here in the shack, a little operating I do at home, but I also use it quite a bit portable. Uh, it's And I still haven't learned to use most of the capabilities. Um, a couple accessories in there that uh, are very valuable, particularly if you're going to take a portable, that uh, we list there. The uh, side KX end plates and cover are uh, uh, an aftermarket product, by, well, not by Elecraft, but by somebody who cooperates with Elecraft, that go on the two ends of the radio. And um, the, the uh, end plates have ears on them, so so that uh, you can carry the darn thing, and it protects the front panel controls from inadvertent um, uh, bopping. And for um, it's very handy for even more protection when you're carrying it. There's a Lexan cover that pops on that goes with the that also comes from the same same uh, uh, source. Gems products make it much more valuable for. Yeah, I see. Race is highly recommended. He's the one who clued us into it. Um, make it very very uh, practical for a portable operation. And Ray, if you would, uh, if you're not too shy, could you talk about the technology um, remote control modules for the KX3? Uh, good evening, everybody. Uh, uh, yes, I very much. Uh, uh, recommend the uh, the sidekicks as they're called uh, for the KX3 for anybody who has that transceiver uh, and the Lexan cover. It, it's uh, I'm sure uh, uh, Eric Schwartz and Wayne McPhee are, are saying to themselves, "Geez, why didn't we think of that?" But they didn't, and so somebody else is supporting it on the second hand or the secondary market. Um, it's just a, a, a super addition uh, to the rig. Now, getting on to the technology uh, gadget, uh, what that is essentially is a Wi-Fi uh, port uh, to the transceiver. Uh, what it lets you do is use uh, an iPad or an iPhone uh, and run um, uh, logging software uh, that uh, will talk directly with the transceiver. And by using uh, uh, Wi-Fi, it was uh, simple. And uh, um, some people said, why didn't they use Bluetooth? Well, there's some, I think, uh, problems uh, or uh, maybe licensing issues with Bluetooth that they don't have with Wi-Fi. And uh, <clears throat> it just simply uh, converts a Wi-Fi connection between your tablet or, or uh, smartphone. And they do have it for the um, Android. Android platform too, uh, uh, to your KX3 through the RS-232 port, uh, which allows you to interrogate your operating frequency, uh, your mode, band, and all that sort of thing. Uh, so it puts half your, uh, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, <laughs> uh, uh, N6KR is, uh, is the Wayne I was thinking of, uh, thinking of somebody else. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, it, it's great wireless connection between your KX3 and your uh, iDevice. Uh, or a smartphone uh, to do the logging and um uh, very elegantly done. Uh, they have a newer version out uh, called the Piglet. Uh, I have an older version, which uh, has its own battery power supply, but this one, uh, the Piglet is smaller, it does the same things, and uh, you can run it off 12 volts just like you can the rig. So, um, neat little gadget. Uh, the link is up there to technology, and uh, that'll tell you even more than I can. Um, back to you, Joe. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Ray. It's always good to talk to a satisfied user to get a, <clears throat> to get a picture of uh, the worth of some of these products. Um, 
as Alleycraft does, they also have uh, more accessories coming along, um, both long-awaited. Uh, they're, they're going through some issues of uh, trying to get parts, I understand. So they've missed some projected delivery dates. But uh, one of the things is antithetical to QRPers, but uh, many are interested in adding a 100-watt amplifier to this. Um, it's coming real soon now. Um, I suspect probably it'll be starting to come out uh, sometime in uh, November. I think the last of the parts are, are uh, slowly getting into Elecraft and they're going to be able to put it out uh, very shortly. They have a pra uh, policy of not releasing products until they're ready. Unlike some of the uh, computer folks and the uh, computer software folks who um, use their user base as testers and put things out before they're ready, um, Elecraft tries to make sure something's solid before they ship it. Another thing that's very, very handy, or going to be very handy, is a two-meter module. Uh, that will fit inside the uh, KX3. It'll extend the uh, the range up to uh, two meters, um, and you'll be able to use all of the the modes you would uh, on HF um, on um, two meters as well. Uh, again, that one is going through some testing. Um, I don't think that's quite as far along as the amplifier, but they're trying to make sure that it's solid and it does what's in expected of it before uh, before they put it out the door. And I'm sure it'll be working very well. Uh, I think uh, Wayne N6KR had. Um, um, showed it off at, uh, I think he did a date, and I think he did it at um, Pacificon um, to let people see how the thing operated, although it's uh, it's a beta test module. But uh, very good products, and uh, I'm very happy with what I have. Um, back to you, George. Yeah, uh, George, this is Terry. I've got uh, a KX3 and absolutely love it. I've also got the K3P3 SVGA. Um, the company is very solid. I also wanted to expand a little on the technology. Um, I've, I made a homemade pigtail because uh, I've been working for about a year with the uh, with various Wi-Fi modules, and I ended up just buying a piglet, and it's very cool. And a friend of mine and I here in Charleston are working with Charles, the guy that wrote ISDR, and we basically have the piglet, through the piglet, um, the ISDR app for the iPhone and iPad can control the frequency of the KX3. So you can move up and down um, frequency-wise um, with the iPad using the uh, IS, a new version of the ISDR app and uh, and the Piglet. So um, that's something that should be coming out before too awful long. Yeah, George, that's right. Uh, it's another couple cents worth. Uh, I can't say enough about Elecraft as a company. Uh, I saw a posting on one of the uh, email lists today that there was uh, a chap that uh, was in San Diego. I wanted to know if there's anybody in the area there who possibly uh, could um, show him a KX3 before he commits to getting one. So what happens, uh, N6KR pops onto the list and says, well, I'll be down in San Diego uh, over Thanksgiving, and uh, um, why don't we get together? So uh, not that often you see a company uh, uh, that open and available to uh, show a product. And, of course, their service stuff is uh, is legendary. Um, <clears throat> one other thing I wanted to bring up is the KX1 transceiver, uh, which is still a viable product. Uh, uh, it's a neat little, very uh, compact URP rig uh, uh, and uh, does a lot of features. Not the same uh, uh, depth and capability as the KX3, but KX1 is, is no slouchy either. Uh, can get that with multiple bands, a built-in tuner, and uh, all self-contained. And that's one of the nice features of all of these things. They're uh, totally self-contained. You don't need a lot of accessories. All right, then. Let's get into the next uh, the next rigs there on the list. 
on the whiteboard. Um, I, I would be a little bit remiss in um, not mentioning the SDR cube transceiver. Well, of course, I've got a bit of an interest in there. It's it's not uh, it, it's not an overbearing, over uh, uh, overarching type of uh, thing, and it's more of a fun project that really um, a lot of people are sharing in. And of course, the the SDR cube transceiver is uh, something that we're continually adding new features and capabilities to. And it uh, recent options include an all band RX uh, receiver module so we can you can upgrade your cube to be a, a full general coverage receiver without having to change any of the bands and such um, also shown there is the SDR power cube a 20 watt RF power amplifier uh, that's based on tappers solid penny whistle design and uh, has some really unique features that differentiate it from other things in the market available as a kit as available as a assembled and tested sort of a little bit of a qualifier there but we'll get into that later and uh, more of, more of like a modules thing, the way that Elecraft does it. And uh, it's it's going to be announced this month uh, from pricing and availability will be almost right away. So we're looking forward to really having some more blue lights blinking there on the, on the front panels of the Cube C-Line. Uh, and uh, things coming downstream with the, with the Cube include uh, amplified powered speakers that have a unique, uh, uh, unique uh, feature with it, a... Um, a um, signal quality type of meter that is a combination of an ATU and uh, power meter and um, again just a uh, um, kind of a signal quality type of perspective that can be displayed for your signal on, on the graphic display. So that's another box another cube along the line there. So um, some some really cool things that are continuing to come out from uh, my lab and uh, I hope you get a chance to kind of look at those too. But now let's slide over to the uh, U-Kits. Uh, Joe, um, you you had some a couple of uh, um, you gave us a couple of links and and pictures and stuff there. There's uh, some HF gear. There's some VHF gear. There's some really neat things there, but it's kind of confusing. They look similar to some other things that are around. But uh, can you tell us a little bit about U kits? Go ahead. <laughs> well, yeah, there there um, there have been various incarnations of them. Um, U kits is a I'm not sure where the company is, frankly. I think it may have a uh, Oriental base, but I believe the sales currently are out of Canada. Um, they've been around, <clears throat> pardon, been around um, for a couple of years now, uh, trying to make uh, some lower cost portable um, QRP transceivers and um, and one other device we'll talk about later, but um, that have the, the features of the um, the KX3, the K1, the KX1, the KX3, um, and um, some of the uh, stuff designed by KD1JV in a uh, in a commercial package that's a little little less expensive, less uh, complicated, less expensive than the uh, the Alicraft stuff. Um, there are several things uh, we have listed here. The uh, kind of their top of the line devices, the HB1B. They're now in Mark II, which is a four-band QRP uh, transceiver. Don't think it has a uh, uh, an ATU in the thing, but it is a self-contained transceiver that uh, looks pretty good. And I, I've worked some of the guys uh, who go portabling a lot, and they uh, they like it as a uh, lower-cost uh, device to take on the uh, on the road uh, than some of the Elecraft stuff. They have uh, other things in their product line. They have um, uh, some three-band QRP transceivers, and uh, they also in their line have the what they call the TJ2B, which is a handheld five-band single sideband transceiver. So they're they're going after the market um, for those who like to operate portable single sideband as well as the uh, CW. So um, I, I have not operated one myself, frankly, but uh, I have uh, worked people on the air using them, and um, after some of the initial bugs 
bugs came out in the early models, they love them. So uh, another option for uh, for the stocking or for Christmas if, uh, if you want to try something different without uh, without breaking the bank. I believe they're in the um, three to five watt class. Not 100% certain. I haven't uh, checked the specs, but I think they're in that class. So they are definitely QRP. Any details on that, Joe? No, I don't have any details. That's kind of been an evolutionary product. Um, they've had a couple things in that line. Don't know much about it, but it's uh, kind of a successor to um, some transceivers that were out there for a while made by Mizuho, which were portable uh, single sideband transceivers. Looks like a uh, simple simple radio, um, and it is sideband for those who don't want to operate uh, uh, CW, so um, it appeals to that market. Uh, you know, the uh, particularly the guys. I'm trying to remember the HF Packers, the guys who walk around with the whips on their back uh, and a, a drag wire behind um, and operate a single sideband while they're uh, walking the trails or uh, wending their way through parking lots. Ah, yeah, uh, Rick here. Uh, I had one one thing that uh, you said early on in the show, just to kind of break in here, uh, which I thought of. You were talking about the difficulty of uh, people getting a Christmas list together for folks who might like to purchase you something. And I have found, it actually started back when I was stamp collector, had the stamp collectors have the same problem with their friends and, and neighbors. Um that everybody you know who might want to buy you a gift certainly knows about Amazon and the Amazon gift uh, registry, as it were. But for uh, ham-type people, uh, they have an add-on to their gift box where you can uh, add anything from anywhere on the Internet to your gift registry so that you don't have to give people a lot of data about who they can buy this from. All you have to do is go to that page, click on the, the little widget that comes from Amazon, and right there it will be on your gift list. And all the uh, prospective purchaser has to do is one-click it, and you've got a gift on the way to you. Uh, my suspicion, knowing Amazon, is that they get uh, some cash along the way from whoever uh, they are they're directing to and i'm not sure whether it comes through amazon shipping or whether i presume it comes directly from a third party but uh, uh it's very tightly bound into their whole system and it's just like buying anything else on amazon uh that you would buy off of someone's gift list i was going to add one other thing into my gift list uh that some people might be interested in uh that i've been my favorite gift that i got this year was an hla 150 plus linear amplifier uh they're not it's not easy to find a medium range uh, linear and uh for many of us putting out three to five watts uh the hla will put you up to 100 125 watts uh with no intervening problem and then you just take it out of the box plug it in and it has worked beautifully for me all right, then. Let's get into some of the test and measurement uh, things there. Joe, you pointed out a, uh, a Rigol guided reference oscillator, a small module there that is uh, that looks like it's ideally suited for mobile equipment. And uh, wherever it's important to have a frequency that reference that you can turn off when not in use or be precisely on frequency within just a few minutes, as you, those of us who know... GPS. Uh, it takes a bit of time to lock up um, onto a GPS reference signal from a satellite. Uh, this thing apparently does it a lot quicker, although there's a price for it. Um, it's uh, I don't know what the price is, but it's not inexpensive. But if you happen to have a need for a uh, 100 part per billion stability locked at one pulse per second, one PPS, uh, here's an integrated GPS receiver for you. And uh, it, it's got some uh, uh, really good performance characteristics. What do you think of this thing, Joe? Uh, what, what's the story? Yeah, I don't know an awful lot about it. I ran across it today um, somewhere in surfing the web. Um, 
GPS provides, um, uh, GPS is based on some very accurate um, atomic standards. The whole GPS system relies on timing. And as, as uh, part of the service provided by, by them, they uh, put out on the, uh, uh, in the data stream from GPS receivers, there is a very, very precise, although somewhat jittery, um, one second uh, timing pulse. Um, there have been various hams and others who have uh, synchronized oscillators to, um, to GPS. Uh, some of the things are complicated, some are rather simple. But um, Regal uh, sells a product actually through another company, from another company, I believe, that has integrated in one little cube a GPS receiver. Uh, I believe you have to use an external antenna, but it also has a, an oscillator in there that is synced to this one second, uh, one pulse per second signal from uh, GPS. Uh, and it provides uh, after the lockup time, which they say is only a couple minutes, gives you 100 parts per billion stability um, for um, uh, for their oscillator. I believe that uh, the output is 10 megahertz. But a very handy way of, of getting a um, a stable oscillator, um, very highly accurate oscillator to uh, to use as a time reference, or for those who operate um, VHF, UHF, or microwaves, um, to use to uh, lock your uh, your uh, oscillators in on your transceivers so that you know you're exactly on frequency. It's expensive. It's uh, it's almost 700 bucks, but it is a small package if you're so inclined uh, to, uh, to have everything in one little box with uh, um, just no, no fussing around. Okay, let's get into the next section here. Um, we see a piece of test equipment called the Poor Hams Scalar Network Analyzer. And this seems to be a bit of a project that uh, sprung up on the lists uh, sort of recently. They call it... Uh, um, a simple scalar network analyzer that uses an Arduino Uno and an inexpensive AD9850 DDS module, inexpensive like from overseas for virtually nothing, it seems, although you might have to wait for shipment uh, to come along in a, in a longer while than usual. And uh, sometimes the quality of those 9850 uh, DDS chips as, uh, or the modules has been uh, questionable. But nonetheless, it also includes an AD8307 uh, log amp uh, RF power detector. So um, what it looks like, Joe, and you can tell us a little bit more about it, it looks like it uh, is a uh, homebrew HF DDS analyzer that sweeps and uh, uh, reads back the impedances of the network being uh, analyzed. Is that about it? Yeah, I, uh, well, I... Someone mentioned on one of the lists I looked and um, looked into it. These are not kits. This is uh, this is a group doing doing uh, their own little project um, to make a scalar network analyzer, which is something to, um, to use to sweep um, sweep in frequency and look at the amplitude response of a filter or an amplifier, whatever. No phase involved. It's not a vector network analyzer, but it's a relatively simple device using. Um, as George mentioned, the 8307 power detector. Uh, in fact, um, they, they use the circuit that uh, Wes Hayward used, uh, wrote up in QST, um, along with um, some of the inexpensive uh, TDS modules you can get on eBay, uh, and an Arduino to control the thing, to uh, do this sweeper. I just got in the mail yesterday uh, printed circuit boards that uh, N5IB made up to uh, to implement uh, this uh, scalar network analyzer, so I'm, I'm going to whip it together and uh, just see how it works, just for the heck of it. Um, I, I think it could be a lot of fun. Uh, certainly not uh, something in your stocking, but um, if, you're, uh, if you like to diddle with things, uh, go to this uh, Poor Ham Scalar Network Analyzer uh, group uh, on eBay, or I'm sorry, on, uh, on Yahoo, and uh, see what it's all about. Um, something simple to do. Uh, I think it's actually almost anybody who can uh, build electronics could make one of these and uh, make it play. 
All right, next on our list here is another snazzy uh, U-Kits kit. Now, this one's an antenna analyzer with a multicolor graphic display in the front that uh, kind of is in the price range of the venerable and ever-present MFJ259B269, uh, the Micro 908, um, and some of the other uh, uh, some of the other handheld antenna analyzers that are around. This one is uh, uh, looks pretty interesting. It's available uh, also through Tentec. It looks like, and uh, I don't know if anybody who's had any experience with this one, Joe. Um, I don't know if you have or have heard, but uh, what's your take on this particular antenna analyzer from Yukis? Yeah, it, it is not complex impedance. It just shows you raw impedance, which was what the original uh, MFJ analyzer did. But it does have a snazzy uh, graphics display. Uh, I don't own one. I've seen them, and I played with one a little bit. Uh, it's a little fussy to use, but the idea is it's a very small thing. It's smaller than the matchbox. It's right in your hand, uh, easy to uh, transport and easy to use, and it gives a, a nice graphical picture of... Uh, of SWR on your antenna and the impedance so that you can tell uh, where it's tuned and if it's uh, not tuned on frequency, how far off it is. There may be others. Uh, anyone in the group uh, have any hands-on experience with it more than mine? No, I guess not. There have been others that were vastly more expensive uh, in the $1,000 region, which had uh, similar or better performance. But of all the of, of the small ones that fit in your hand, this one is um, probably the uh, the only one that, that gives you the kind of capability for the price. Uh, and it's not a kit. It comes assembled. Looks uh, looks cute and a little out of my price range. I get by with what I got there uh, just fine. <laughs> Although I have a much more expensive device that does uh, does even more. Yeah, that's nice. It's uh, the AIM 4170. There are other models. It is a um, uh, it's an antenna analyzer, not a vector network analyzer, but it uh, it does have uh, built-in DDS tunes from I think uh, 100 kilohertz to 170 megahertz, and uh, used in conjunction with the computer, and it lets you look at um, all sorts of things. Of course, it has a DDS in there, so very very um, stable in frequency. Gives you a display of all sorts of antenna parameters, uh, SWR, uh, reflection coefficient, the R and X, uh, complex impedance, and uh, it even lets you do Smith charts on your computer. Very, very handy. Uh, it's in the $600 price range, and it's not nearly as portable as the uh, handheld antenna analyzer here, but um, it's very good. I've, I've used it quite a bit here in my shack and uh, got, got George interested. He bought one. One thing I really like about the AIM is that um, it's, uh, it's almost bulletproof. If you um, try to measure antennas in an area where you have um, a lot of stray RF, I have um, AM broadcast stations within a mile or so of, of my property, um, many of the uh, simple analyzers just fold up and don't give you good results. Uh, the AIM, on the other hand, uses a scheme that's pretty bulletproof, and I can make very precision measurements uh, very repeatedly in spite of the fact that uh, I have you know hundreds of millivolts of RF uh, just from nearby broadcast stations. So one of the other things you've got to uh, consider, and George put the URL for uh, for the aim on uh, on the text box. Good instrument, a uh, lot to play with. Not as handy as a, a vector network analyzer, but um, for working with antennas, I find it invaluable. The next item here on our Christmas wish list here at Chat with the Designers is uh, a digital sample in oscilloscope, a DSO. Shown here is the uh, the Rigol DS2072, 2072. It's a 70 megahertz two-channel uh, digital oscilloscope, and um, I, I have actually recently got myself a digital scope. I was researching this particular one very, very closely. Actually, another one as well. It was a 200 megahertz two-channel. Um, I wanted to upgrade 
from the typical analog ones that I've had all my career, and I wanted to upgrade my bench a little bit. And looking at these things, um, found them to be really attractive, really uh, an opportunity for getting some different capabilities on my bench, um, recording capabilities, uh, playback capabilities uh, for signals, different kind of automatic built-in measurements, um, smaller, um, quieter, less heat, and uh, portable. So, I mean, all of these things come about with technology, and uh, this one here is a very fast scope, and it covers frequencies up to 200 megahertz with two channels and uh, a wide-ranging uh, uh, vertical um, uh, settings that give you a good noise floor to help you capture some smaller signals. And uh, I ultimately ended up getting an Agilent uh, Infinium. Uh, it's an older device, but it was a good deal and pretty good, uh, pretty, uh, pretty capable. I think uh, uh, Alan, uh, W2AEW here on a regular with us, has, uh, has some really good experience, of course, being a Tektronix field applications engineer and often and describing uh, oscilloscope uh, basics and advanced capabilities and measurement techniques and application notes for using scopes. So, Alan, I'll ask if you could pipe in and, of course, give us your comment about digital scopes versus analog scopes and, and so on. But uh, in general, if you're looking to get um, a little bit of extra measurement capability on your bench, this would be something good to have. I can't imagine a better piece of equipment, an oscilloscope in general, to have on the bench uh, to give you visibility to the signals that are of interest to us, be the RF, fast digital, uh, fast digital signals, um, just about anything that you measure, it always adds a, an extra dimension being able to actually see the signal because oftentimes uh, seeing the signal just uh, you know, gives you greater, better insight as far as uh, is it performing as it should be. But as with anything, a measurement device, you, a man's got to know his limitations or an instrument's limitations in this case. You really have to know what uh, the limitations of a device are, what maybe some extra artifacts are that are brought in because of the digital sampling and so on. So knowing your equipment is, uh, is always a good thing to know, uh, don't you think? Although I don't have one that's nearly as capable. The, uh, the newer scopes, the digital scopes, once you get over the learning curve, which uh, for an old analog guy like me was, uh, was a bit of a, um, bit of a challenge. They have lots and lots of neat features in there uh, because of the uh, digital processing. Um, one of the cool things for the wideband digital scopes too, excuse me, in addition to operating as a, a regular analog scope in the, uh, as, a, no, as a display in the time domain, uh, many of them also have um, FFT capability so that you can look at signals in the uh, frequency domain as well, giving you not all but some of the features of a uh, spectrum analyzer as well. Yeah, Alan, W2AEW, please go ahead. Uh, your insight <clears throat> your insight with digital scopes versus analog scopes is really interesting. We've talked about it before. But yeah, so yeah, the problem with FFEs on any digital scope is that uh, they don't operate like a spectrum analyzer. Uh, the frequency range that you get out of the FFT, you know, from DC to X frequency, it goes from DC to whatever sample rate was used divided by two, okay? And um, sometimes that's dependent on what you have set up or horizontal time base or record length or things like that. So the frequency range is from DC to sample rate divided by two. And then the frequency resolution on the spectrum analyzer is um, proportional to the record length in time. Not the number of samples, not the sample rate, but the amount of time captured in in the, the waveform. So the longer the time record, the finer the frequency resolution. So those two things are a little bit 
not not obvious. So when you try to get a desired result out of an FFT on an analyzer on a an FFT on a scope channel, those are the kind of things you play with. Now some of the scopes then once you computed the FFT allow you to adjust you know the, the horizontal frequency scale to maybe adjust to a different frequency range, a different center frequency and span or start and stop frequency. But the limits of that is are kind of driven by the sample rate and the record length of time. Well, um, I would say that for most of our RF work on the bench, you can very easily get away with and use very effectively uh, an analog scope. Uh, if you've seen any of my videos and seen the shop tour video that I did, you'll see that uh, my bench is all analog scope, with, with one exception. I've got a small little 100 megahertz uh, four-channel digital, but I would say 90% of the time I use an analog scope for the work that I'm doing. Um, and uh, part of the problem with some of the digital scopes is that they don't really do a good job when you want to look at the RF envelope of a RF signal, because if you turn the horizontal sweep feed, or I should say on a scope that's horizontal scale, you turn that down slow enough to be able to see the envelope you know, of the audio signal or the modulating signal. Your sample rate winds up being too slow and you undersample the RF signal and it kind of doesn't look so good. And maybe you can play some games with the display mode to turn it into like P-Tech display mode. But at the end of the day, it generally doesn't do as good a job at looking at modulated RF envelope as an old analog scope does. But there are certainly you know, areas and places where the digital scope far exceeds what an analog can do. You know, when you want to capture signals over time, make some automatic measurements, you know, uh, you know, capture, store, record, and study, you know, signals over time and that kind of thing. Do other measurements like an FFT and that kind of stuff where digital scopes are better. But uh, I would say that, uh, you know, for us homebrewers in the lab and on the benches, if you can get yourself a decent uh, 100 megahertz analog scope, and that gets you 95% of the way there. Oh, yeah. yeah. You can certainly find, you can find yourself even like a funnier, you know, 50, 60 megahertz scope or typically under 100 bucks. Um, you know, a lot of the older ones are, if they're not working right, they're relatively easy to fix, you know, depending on the scope and that kind of thing. So, um, but, uh, you know, you could easily find one for about $100. You could certainly find one for two to 300 um, even some really nice 350 megahertz scope for that price. So uh, that's certainly a whole lot more than you'd find on a, uh, a digital scope in that price range. So, but like I said, there's a lot of stuff out there. Uh, I would say if you're, going, if you're looking at the digitals, you really have to consider what kind of work you're going to be doing with it. And if you're looking at RF signals, there may be some limitations there. So, uh, but yeah, you know, lots of places to look for that kind of stuff. Yeah, Terry, uh, go ahead. Yeah, one other thing about digital scopes. Um, I don't know if you remember, but around the early beginning of this year, um, a friend of mine or a guy I know was messing with those uh, 9850 DDS boards from China. And he could, he swore to me he had, it was generating 7 megahertz, but at the same time was also, he was also getting a 1 kilohertz signal. And his, I believe it was a Rigel digital scope, uh, was showing that sometimes that he had a 1 kilohertz and a 7 megahertz signal alternating out of this, out of this DDS module. Well, long and short, I was just going to say after two to three months, he got, he finally got an analog scope and found out what he was seeing was aliasing. So one of the things you have to be very careful of with a digital scope is knowing what your what your scope's limitations are and anticipate aliasing and some other artifacts because what you're what you're interpreting may not be accurate. Okay, uh, Joe, we're uh, we're now down to the the SOTA beam, some of the antenna stuff that you find so fascinating and often share with uh, me, a devoted disciple of of your antenna knowledge. And here on Chat with the Designers, an awful lot of antenna interest. So why don't you uh, kind of review? some of the soda beam stuff that you found uh, on the internet and maybe some of the items that uh, are shown there as far as portable field deployable types of antennas and such. 
Indeed, and that's S-O-T-A, not S-O-D-A. It has nothing to do with carbonated beverages. Um, just by way of brief introduction, there is a, a group or there is a, uh, a movement started in Europe or uh, summits on the air where uh, hams go to um, various registered uh, high points, mountains and such, and there are various uh, uh, qualifications for what does and doesn't count. But they, they operate portable from these uh, summits and uh, uh, try to work as many people on the other summits as they can. Um, in line with that operation, there's a company called Soda Beans in, uh, in Europe, in uh, England, Great Britain, run by uh, G3CWI, Richard something or other, um, who makes antenna products for uh, portable operation. Uh, it's kind of a neat company. I bought a number of things from them, and I like it because they're, they're intended for uh, setting up in the field very quickly, getting on the air, operating, and then tearing it down again very quickly. Not something you'd set up uh, permanently at your home, but uh, for uh, uh, portable operation, and I've been doing a lot, a lot of that lately. Um, he has VHF um, UHF antennas uh, for that sort of operation, which I've not done. I am familiar, however, with some of his HF stuff. He has what he calls um, super light half-wave dipoles for um, the uh, HF frequencies. Um, very lightweight. They weigh um, with everything in there. It's uh, less than a pound. And uh, uh, come in individual uh, um, single-band dipoles, and he has uh, other linked dipoles, which are dipoles that um, have various segments for the different bands with the alligator clips to hook them up. But they're intended to... Um, uh, to be set up on a uh, in a tree or one of his one of his poles. He has a um, soda pole, which unfortunately is too large for international shipping. That's about a um, seven meter pole, about a 21 foot pole that um, works very well. And just recently, he also came up with a 33 foot travel pole which is a 10-meter pole in the metric. Um, the beauty of it is that uh, it is a um, fiberglass pole. It has no carbon fiber in there, so there's no uh, RF loss from being close to your antenna. And it collapses to 26 and a half inches. So the darn thing will fit in a suitcase. Uh, very, very handy. I bought one. Uh, Howie K3HW lent me his uh, for him to try out. And as soon as I tried it out, I went and bought, bought my own. About 100 bucks ship, but very, very handy for uh, quick portable operation. And one of the other things that Soda Beam sells is the wire winder, which is a, um, well, you know, we don't have a picture here, but you've got to see a picture of them to, um, to appreciate them. It's a quick way of winding a wire with a uh, figure eight pattern so that um, you can uh, load it very quickly on this thing for uh, transport and take it off very quickly uh, without getting a tangled mess. Very, very handy. And uh, the darn things are, I think he sells uh, three of them for like $5. Um, very, very great. I have a number of them. And by the way, the, the uh, his wire dipoles come on um, three um, wire winders, one each for the two halves of the dipole. And then uh, the third uh, wire winder is for the feed line and, uh, and the uh, line to use to uh, guide the pole. Very, very handy. Um, he also has, uh, Richard has some videos uh, featuring um, some of the products, the um, uh, how to erect the dipole on his uh, uh, soda pole and also on the wire winders. Uh, handy to uh, see how the guy intends to use them. Um, good company, very fast response uh, considering they come from England and I'm very pleased with, uh, with his products. And did you mention that uh, the matchbox there, Joe, the uh, EARC and Fed HF antenna matchbox? No, I didn't mention the antenna matchbox. That's that's not soda, but it's, uh, it's something also handy for affordable operation. The um, Emergency Amateur Radio Club in Hawaii has come up with uh, what they call an NFED HF antenna matchbox uh, for about 50 bucks. 
which um, uh, they claimed to have it uh, usable with a an NFED wire um, somewhere somewhere in the 26 to 50 foot uh, length, um, untuned with their matchbox, which is claims to be a nine to one um, un unbalanced to unbalanced transformer. Um, no ground radials, no nothing. Uh, it does require to use a an antenna tuner in in your rig, which KX3 has, um, and a lot of folks report excellent results with it. Um, in addition to selling this, they also have uh, details uh, on their website about how you can build one. I built one, and uh, sorry to say, I've not had excellent results with the darn thing. I've had a lot of trouble with RF in the rig, and uh, have not been able to uh, to uh, get it to operate right. I noticed that uh, Ray in the chat window mentioned he has very very nice results with, with this antenna, but uh, I've not had those similar results. I'm gonna have to spend more time playing with it, see what's going on. But it is a handy way to uh, operate portable on multiple bands without having to have. Uh, uh, any complicated or difficult to erect uh, antennas. Uh, perhaps, uh, perhaps I'll I'll get the wrinkles out and get it working. Uh, Ray says best bands are 20 and 40. Um, those are the two bands I've not been able to get it to work on. Must be uh, something with uh, some of my setup, or uh, I'm doing something wrong. All right, coming further down our Christmas list here, we uh, I wanted to mention the Xtronic solder station. We've we talked about this a little bit before in the past, but can't stress it enough um, how my home brewing time, my quality on the bench, uh, building things, building circuits, and home brewing uh, was just magnified uh, immensely whenever I got a at the point at which I got a really good solder station. At one point, it was a quantum step up to get a Tektronix uh, temperature controlled I don't know what the number was but then a couple of years back um, it up went up to quantum levels uh, when I got the Xtronic 4000 or the 4040 that's shown here it's a combined solder station you know, it's a solder station which has uh, got a built-in um, hot air rework um, uh, hot air forced air it allowed me to take um, ICs on and uh, and off uh, circuit boards um, and it's just a, a magnificent for like hundred and twenty five dollars Joe I think you got one um it's just a magnificent addition for um for the home brewing bench and anybody that builds things ought to have such a um such a piece of equipment uh, whether it's this one or something else a little bit next on the list is the um is the xg3 the um oh gosh what is it called the Elecraft uh, XG3 programmable signal source. I got one of these things, and it is really, really nifty. Again, part of the Elecraft suite of really usable devices and and uh, super useful circuits and well-designed and user-interfaced type of things. This thing here is a good signal source that I use for checking quick checks of receiver um, filters, uh, bandpass filters. I use it as a signal source on uh, each of the different bands. It's easy to, to kind to go around the, the bands and switch uh, the signal levels on each. And uh, I really enjoy this particular piece of equipment. Uh, Joe, do you have any thoughts on that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it certainly is. Um, very handy for checking receivers and for doing quick checks to see if you're on frequency. And it's very versatile. Um, I believe it is programmable as well. You can change the frequencies on each band to um, to set to what you want by hooking up a computer to a uh, RS-232 uh, port, and then it saves it until you change it the next time. Okay, we're getting a little bit uh, close to the end of our list. Santa would have an awful hard time kind of... Uh... Uh, justifying being able to give us all these things because who can be that good after all <laughs> throughout the year? But uh, we, we certainly give it a try. Monitoring times, uh, talking about magazines a little bit. Monitoring times, as was mentioned last time, is going out of business at the end of this uh, year. I think somebody's going to be picking it up. Somebody might want to mention that uh, here uh, when, when I uh, 
when I give up the micro moment. But um, Modern Modern Times has gone out of business, and they have a great, great deal on collections of their previous year's uh, magazines in PDF form. And it's a wonderful way to uh, to pick up some good information. I mean, the radio lists and uh, frequencies and stations, shortwave broadcasting stations, are, are the lists there of past issues are really of not of great value. But there are some good feature articles and good equipment listed in there. So it's, uh, if you're a magazine hound such as Joe and I are, and JJ is one as well, uh, this is a good deal. Now, uh, in the miscellaneous category, uh, Joe had listed uh, Ellicraft again. I think Joe's uh, Joe, you've got you're a little fixated there on, on Ellicraft, and as many people are, and I can certainly understand why. I mean, I've got I've got some uh, I've got a fair amount of Ellicraft equipment here, and and they just have a bang up super product lineup and uh, designs and, and encompassing user interface and quality of the equipment and so on. But you listed the Ellicraft service. I, I, I thought that was an interesting perspective. And could you elaborate on that, please? Yeah, um, well, I could go on and on about Hallicraft. I, I know um, Wayne, Wayne Burdick, and I vaguely know Eric, um, uh, Eric Schwartz, uh, who are the principals in the company? Um, they do a super job. Um, I, I with the KX3, I had some minor difficulties initially, but uh, they very quickly turned around uh, the repairs, got me back uh, back on track, the operating. Um, and I, I've got to say, they're very very accessible, uh, and they they aim to satisfy their customers. They go to great lengths to do that. There are a couple lists I'm familiar with too. There's a general Ellicraft list, and there's also um, a KX3 list specific to that rate um, that they both listen on or they both uh, watch. Um, they they look for customer comments and they respond directly to uh, questions on there, which is uh, you know unbelievable. It's it's almost unheard of. Um, they listen to what people are having trouble with. They listen to the trouble reports and they um, they solicit product improvement suggestions and they they really incorporate them. Uh, it's amazing to see how quickly they turn things around because they really want to have happy uh, happy customers. They um, Another thing they do, uh, particularly with the KX3, I know, there have been some, some wrinkles of some things that didn't work quite well in the software, uh, some sticky points, and they've uh, modified the software in under a week and uh, made beta versions available to uh, list members so that they could check them out and be sure that the improvements worked. And then um, once, they were, once they were verified uh, operational, they put them out as uh, uh, full revisions to the software. Very, very good, responsive company. Uh, very, very pleased with that. And there are things I'm not pleased with. Um, QST, the digital QST, um, you can you can use on a computer. I find it clumsy uh, and awkward. Um, they have two versions now for the uh, iPad and uh, for the Android tablet. I can't speak for the a Android. Uh, sorry, I can't speak for the iPad app. Um, but the Android app, you what you do is you download. If you're a QST subscriber, you download uh, individual issues of the uh, magazine uh, and read it on your tablet. Um, at least for the Android version, the uh, what you download, I downloaded the November QST, and it was over 300 meg, which is monstrous. Took uh, took quite a while to download, and I was using it uh, with my 4G connection, so uh, I used up 30% uh, of my monthly data just to download one magazine. Uh, what it does is it down it consists of three JPEGs for each page with differing resolutions, uh, so it takes up a lot of memory space. Works pretty well. I've got to say it works very well, but uh, it is a bit clumsy and um, not real pleased with uh, with having such a, a memory hub for um, for operation. Be interested if uh, anybody has used the iPad version of the uh, digital QST app. Is there anyone out there who has? 
Yeah, Joe, I have. Yeah, Ray, uh, what did you think of it? Well, uh, similar observations. Uh, initially, uh, I found it to uh, uh, not be stable, although they seem to fix that. At, at one point, uh, the thing just totally locked up, and uh, I had to remove it. And in so doing, of course, lost all the issues that I had downloaded. Uh, but by reinstalling uh, an updated version, uh, that hasn't happened. Uh, but, yeah, it's a bit of a bandwidth hog. Uh, I was just about to type in, uh, I'm keeping my uh, paper subscription for a while. I like the idea of, uh, of paperless, and it, uh, you have all the issues in the cloud there for you. But, of course, you've got to keep your membership current, too, or all of a sudden you don't have them anymore. Yeah, that's, that is unfortunate. Terry, did you have a comment on them? I was just going to say, I, I use the iPad uh, version. I kind of like it, but like you said, I, I, I haven't checked the iPad uh, um, each time it's downloaded, so I don't know how big it is. I've only, my iPad's only Wi-Fi. Um, I, I like being able to read it and look at it and reference it on the iPad, but it, it does take forever to download unless you have a pretty good connection. So um, when I'm on the other side of the house, it, it takes like five minutes to download. So it wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt that there's a ton of data being uh, being transferred. Yeah, yeah. I, unfortunately, the AWRL has uh, had a habit of uh, some software, uh, both on their website and on some of their other apps, that uh, is less than perfect. <laughs> um, really have some nasty things to say about their, their website and the way that works. But uh, yeah, um, I'm very pleased with how it looks once you downloaded it. But uh, the first time I uh, wanted to download something, I was on the road, didn't have a Wi-Fi connection, so I had to do it 4G. Uh, so not going to do that again until I do have a high-speed Wi-Fi to download. George, you want me to comment on the Yahoo groups while I'm in the uh, griping mode? Yeah, why don't you do that, Joe? I think we're, we're, you're talking about the uh, uh, the Yahoo groups, um, the new look and feel to the Yahoo groups that so many of us use. Go ahead. Yeah, I shouldn't be an old curmudgeon. Um, Yahoo groups has has what they call their Neo uh, version of the uh, the uh, interface for the groups, um, which has had a couple wrinkles. Uh, they replaced all of the pictures that uh, appeared with uh, um as the header for the groups with uh, some assemblage of uh, wicker baskets or something, and some of the some of the uh, uh, people who run the uh, the individual groups uh, have had difficulty uh, putting their new their their own pictures in there. Uh, worse than that, though, um, the app wants um, email to the list to be um, to be. Um, uh, uh, plain text. It doesn't handle HTML very well at all. Sometimes what it does is it, it spews out in the individual messages all of the HTML. So somebody might have a, a one-line comment and they get, um, you know, uh, 70 or 80 lines of HTML garbage along with it, which really looks bad. And in fact, some mail clients don't, can't even post to the list, um, to the, uh, the group list. So there are some wrinkles to be ironed out there. Um, I see Ray, uh, yeah, Ray says uh, only the group owner can change images. That's true but some of the group owners have not been able to figure out how to change the images. So it's a, uh, uh, it's a, <laughs> it's a work in progress. They're, uh, I, I think, uh, as I mentioned, some folks do. I think they released it before, released it to the wild before it was ready. Back to you, George. Uh, yeah, I, uh, this is Rick. Uh, my wife is a moderator on uh, a half a dozen different uh, groups, and uh, the moderation community is just in a total uproar over this new version, new version because they drastically changed what moderators can and can't do in in, uh, in the way of uh, keeping uh, peace and order on their individual groups, and uh, they've just done a terrible job there. 
Yeah, George, I uh, just wanted to go back to monitoring times for a minute. Um, I saw, and I can't remember just where to the moment, but I was going through a bunch of uh, websites, and apparently somebody's going to pick up monitoring times, but they're going to do it as, as a web-based uh, magazine, uh, not the subscription type. Yeah, I haven't checked this out. Nobody's going to pick up monitoring times as such. The, the the name will go away, as will the ownership and all that stuff. However, one of the people responsible for editing monitoring times, not Bob Grove, obviously, uh, will uh, start a new publication on the web called the Spectrum Monitor, and will pick up some of the existing writers for monitoring times, but it's going to be a different publication in a different place. I was wondering uh, what you were going to say about Tentex. That's the news this year, at least. The Rebel. Yeah, I've been looking at that, George, because I'm thinking about getting one. Um, been following there. Um, again, the, there is a website for it. Um, yeah, I mean, again, I'm looking at it uh, at the price point and being able to learn how to do some programming. Because yes, you can do some. You know, you can change programming and do some stuff with it. Uh, there are people already uh, coming up with uh, some different apps and stuff for it. Um, come now, there's been a circuit published. Uh, to be able to put together so you don't have to keep opening it up and changing jumpers when you want to change bands. Yeah, I, uh, I posted or I put it in the in the list because uh, it's something new. Uh, it shows that the Arduino has some legs. Um, it's by uh, Linear Technology, and it's a, uh, a variant of the Arduino that is intended to work with their um, uh, application circuits. So uh, they've they've really commercialized it and tailored it to um, a use that nobody would have thought of. Uh, whenever they come up with new devices, they always have little application boards um, that uh, you can use to uh, to use their new device to evaluate how it works for you. The idea with the uh, Linduino is that you plug those uh, application boards into the Arduino and um, or into the Linduino. They have uh, uh, canned software ready and available so that you can evaluate their products very quickly and easily um, without having to build up special fixtures and all that. So um, just another application, perhaps not that interesting to most hams, but it's interesting that um, the Arduino that was uh, intended just as a learning tool for um, hobbyists and such um, is now getting some commercial use as well. Yeah, before we wrap up, I think I should uh, would like to remind uh, people that the Fort Wayne Ham Fest is coming up in that city and in Indiana on the 16th and 17th. There is a QRP forum that I have attended for the last seven or eight years. It happens at 2:30 uh, in the afternoon on uh, Saturday, the 16th of November, in uh, in Fort Wayne. And you can anybody interested can of course check this out under the web at surprise www.fortwayneHamfest.com. All right, I think we've exhausted the material here on the uh, whiteboard as well as our time, so why don't we kind of wrap things up here a little bit. Uh, Joe, why don't you, uh, well, actually, we had talked about one th extra thing. Uh, maybe we'll do it in a future episode, and that is having a, an episode around Mythbusters uh, or special uh, Believe It or Not, um, of course, on items that are more germane to the radio technology, things that we're interested in here. I think there are some really interesting topics that we can uh, take an uh, kind of a closer perspective or a perspective from a different angle and and really have some fun with uh, uh with those topics in future episodes so maybe something to, to look forward to okay joe do you want to tie the ribbons on it and uh, take us home sure and uh if we do some of the mythbuster stuff better get some pictures of carrie byron on the white Bi carrie byron on the white that will stimulate interest among other things. All right. Uh, tonight we uh, it was kind of a free form, uh, more of a free form session than usual. Uh, we intend to intersperse our uh, heavily technical uh, sessions with uh, 
with some lighter uh, subjects. This time around, it was our yearly, um, uh, you know, what's what's new and great and what do you want for Christmas? We discussed a, a number of uh, rigs, antennas, some uh, accessories uh, that are available for uh, for hams and of interest to, to the community. We tried to uh, tried to give some links for those things. And um, we got some good feedback on uh, some of the topics uh, from the listeners, people uh, participating. And we always encourage that. So um, next next session in a couple of weeks will be more technical, but uh, this is our intermediate uh, uh, lighter topic uh, to, uh, to give everybody a little bit of a rest. 73. Good night, everybody, and thank you for joining us. Uh, please join us next time on Chat with the Designers. Mm-hmm.